0: as we get to the point. Grab your Bible with me, if you would, and let's go to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. We are in a series uh, in the book of Joshua, if you're a guest today, and we've made it to the fifth chapter, and I'm looking forward to uh, looking at that chapter with you today. Uh, Let me remind you, if you're a guest, uh, that we have a table out in the lobby uh, as our uh, kind of focal point of connecting with you If there's anything we can do to serve you or pray for you, please stop by that table out there. Uh, Typically, if you fill out a connection card uh, sometime during the week, uh, we will uh, give you an email, give you a call, and just say, hey, it's not our goal to be a nuisance or harass you uh, in any way, but it is to say, hey, we're here to serve, uh, to serve our community and to serve you. And so please uh, allow us to do that. I noticed that there are some uh, our daily breads out there Uh, Somebody stopped by on Friday to pick one up if you need a devotion book uh, for the next uh, two or three months. They're out there as well as our March F260 Bible reading journals. Okay, we have in the front of that the calendar for the month of March as well as the reading schedule. You can take that. Great place for you to write some notes, and uh, those copies are out in the lobby, and I hope uh, that you will uh, pick them up before you leave today. Joshua chapter 5. Uh, Today, the message is entitled, Before We Begin. Before We Begin. We are in the chapters of preparation, the preparations that are necessary before God's people actually begin in the conquest of the land. Uh, Last week, we looked at uh, chapter four, a message that I entitled, The Goodness of God, and I spent most of my message on the first point. Uh, anybody in the room remember what my first point was last Sunday? I want you to raise your hand right now. Anybody remember what my first point was? Remember my first? Y- are y'all getting the drift here? Okay, now you're, oh yeah, I remember now, right? So last week we, we spent a little time on this thought of remember to remember. Uh, don't forget to remember. Work at remembering the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, because there are so many things that are always going to be coming at us and in front of us. And you know, come on now, don't lie in the house of God. You know that right now there are so many things in front of us that are grabbing our attention, our focus, and we're thinking on those things. And it's real easy to go seven days and not sit and think about the goodness of the Lord to think about all of his blessings. The importance of remembering. I read a little thing this week from an organization called Very Well Mind, and they were talking about some things that you might do to improve your memory. Anybody want to confess you need some help today with that? I'll lift up both of my hands. Uh, Remembering things. It was interesting. They gave five things that will help you with your memory. Number one is chew gum. How many of you've got that down pat already? All right. Okay. Uh, chewing gum, they say, will increase the percentages of you uh, remembering a little bit better. How about this one? Uh, your eyes. Take your eyes every morning. Some of you are going to think I've lost it, but I'm telling you, I read this research. Take your eyes every morning and move them from side to side for 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Move them back and forth. And studies say that that will increase your percentages of memory throughout the day. Now, my favorite one is the third one. Take a nap every day. Take a nap. Take a power nap 45 to 60 minutes every day. That's why you hear me say Sundays is church, lunch, and take a nap. And I'll apply that here to say you need to take a nap today so you can remember the sermon, all right? Take a nap. How about this? Studies show That if you learn something or you're trying to grasp some information, as soon as you hear it and learn it, take a nap and it will help you in remembering it. How about this one, the fourth one? Now, this is weird. I'm just giving you the study, all right? It's clenching your fist. So if you're right handed, clench your fist, you learn something, and after you finish hearing that information, clench your other wrist or your other hand like this and that will help you remember. So moving forward on Sundays, as I look across the room, I want to see this and this uh, more from some of you, so you're working at remembering it. How about the last one? The last one is simply this, and I've learned this just in a practical way in my daily life. Write it down. Write it down. If you write it down, it'll help you to remember it. Now, isn't that a great point when it comes to to the Word of God. The Word of God, because God has written it down for us. We have His Word. We have His promises. We have His miracles. We have His blessings. And so we're able to read it, and we're able to study it, and we're able to say, wow, how great is our God. Now, we're going to see God do some amazing things in the chapters, the following chapters in the book of Joshua. But we finish up today in chapter five in this section of preparation. Preparation. Before you go into battle, before you go into war, there has to be preparation. There has to be planning. How many of you have found that that is true in just about every aspect of your life? There's preparation that has to be done. Our Lord and Savior in his teachings in the gospel said, Who would go out to build a house or build a barn and not first sit down and count the cost? There has to be preparation. When I think about preparing, uh, I think about what I do every week in preaching you uh, sermons on Sunday, and I hope you know that there is preparation that goes into that. I promise you I don't have all of this knowledge up here in my head that I just flip through and pull out on Sunday. Uh, I have to spend time, literally hours during the week, preparing the sermon. Not only do I have to prepare the sermon, I have to prepare the preacher. I have to prepare myself. And so I spend preparation time, primarily Fridays. I come down here, and typically the only people I see on Fridays is uh, Skip Mitchell. Is Skip in here in the service? uh, He's over, okay, he's outside. I see Skip Mitchell. He's maintenance around here, and so he'll come through the building doing some work. Or I see the UPS man, Uh, will stop by and deliver something, but every Friday, almost every single Friday, I'm in this room, and I come in here by myself, and so Friday, I came in here, uh, and I sat down right there in that chair, and uh, it's, you know, it's really quiet in here when you're by yourself, and I sat there for about 30 minutes, and I just prayed, and I said, Lord, I need your help. I've got a sermon to deliver on Sunday. I've tried to do preparation time. I've tried to formulate the thoughts to deliver the text as it's written, and then to bring some application into the room. And so, I always pray, Lord, I pray you would cleanse my hands and purify my heart and fill me with the Holy Spirit and prepare me to do what you have called me to do. Now, in your Christian life, there is preparation. We call it discipleship. Why do we say that it's so important to be discipled? Because you're being prepared. You're you're growing. You're learning so that when you go out into the kingdom, you're ready to do the work that God has called you to do. That is preparation. Too often in the church, we have seen people make a profession of faith or come to Christ or declare that they have been saved, and then we turn them loose to make it on their own, and we don't help them prepare for the tough times. We don't help them prepare For the bumpy roads that are are ahead. How many of you found out in the Christian journey, it's not always easy? And so you have to to prepare yourself. You have to get in the word. How about this? The Bible says, be ready to give an answer to every man of the hope that is within you. Well, how in the world are you going to do that? You've got to do some preparation. You've got to be prepared for that moment. Preparation is so important. Ben Franklin said, by failing to prepare, you're actually preparing to fail. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, if you give me six hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend four of those hours sharpening my axe. Preparation, preparation. So many times in the Christian life, we want to run ahead. We want to move out. We want to get engaged. We want to get involved in kingdom work. And God says, slow down and spend some time in preparation. Now, look in the text with me, Joshua chapter 5. Just the message today is entitled, Before We Begin. There's one last chapter here before chapter 6 and the conquest of Jericho, a very important matter. There's three things that happen in Joshua chapter 5. Here they are. The first thing that happens is Joshua... Gets the people together and follows through on a command of the Lord that is so important for his covenant people. So the first thing we see is that they write what is wrong. They write what is wrong. Look in the text, verse number one. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west, and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. Now, this is very important. I said last Sunday that verse number one actually finishes up the paragraph from chapter four. Chapter five, verse two starts a new paragraph, but verse number one is important because of what's about to happen. The question is, once they crossed over the Jordan River and they set up camp here at Gilgal, why did the enemy not attack the children of Israel while verses 2 through 9 take place? That's very important. It's a key ingredient to the story. It's because they were scared to death, okay? They were fearful. They didn't act because they had heard of all of the mighty, miraculous works of God. Now, notice verse number two. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gabith Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. And the Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. For they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, They remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, and so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. The reproach is rolled away. That's the meaning of this place called Gilgal. So what happens, there's a very important matter That has been neglected in the wilderness wanderings. Now, remember, this series is God's faithfulness and our obedience. I think I'm probably speaking to a room of people today that really believe the Bible is not a book of suggestions. Let me say that again. The Bible is not a book of suggestions, the Bible is directives. They are commands from the Lord, and when He gives a directive or a command, he wants that to be followed. There is a very important thing that they had not followed in their wilderness wandering. For 40 years, as children were born into the families, they had not followed through on the sign of circumcision in the covenant. Now, God said, Genesis chapter 17, verse 14, any uncircumcised male who's not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people, he has broken my covenant. God said, you're going to do this, and if there's anybody that doesn't do this, you have broken the covenant that I have made with you. This is a matter of identity. It is a matter of a marking, a physical marking, that you belong to God, and because you belong to God, Therefore, you are obligated to follow him and obey him in all matters. Now, verse number two says that they circumcised the second time, the sons of Israel, a second time. Now, as you read that, you think that someone is receiving this sign or this mark for the second time in your life, but the writer goes on to explain that that's actually not the case. Some scholars say that this could say, the second generation. The second generation, meaning all of the males who were born in Egypt had received the sign. And then as they're delivered out into the wilderness in their wanderings, both physically and spiritually, they neglected to take the time to follow through with the covenant. Now, your assignment today is to read Numbers chapter 14. All right, write that down. Numbers chapter 14 really for me in my years of Bible study, is such an important chapter that ties in to various places in the Bible, I believe, including Hebrews chapter 6, where God is literally, read it for yourself, God is literally fed up. He is fed up with his people. I mean, he says to Moses, Moses, I'm done with him. I'm tired of their rebellion. I'm tired of their obstinance. I'm gonna set them aside and I'm gonna find a new group of people to bless. And Moses makes an appeal to God that fits in here in this chapter. Moses says, God, if you do that, if you neglect them now, if you let them fizzle out here in the wilderness, and you don't actually follow through and carry them and get them into the land that you have promised, you're gonna be a laughing stock in Egypt people are going to say, yeah, see there, your covenantal God couldn't get you there. And your people that you've made covenant with, they're going to be a reproach. Why? Why is that important? Because most scholars say the statement here in chapter 5 that I read a minute ago about the reproach being rolled away at Gilgal, that it ties into what Moses prayed in Numbers chapter 14. Now is the moment where God has delivered on his promise, and God has brought them Into the promised land. How many of you believe today God always keeps his word? That God is faithful even when we are not. He always follows through. God says, Moses, I'm done. Moses said, God, please don't do that. Please. And God responds to him like this He says, Okay, Moses, I'm going to grant a pardon. I'm going to pardon these knuckleheads. And then he says, But. None of them, none of them are going to step one foot into the promised land. Every single one of them, I'm not going to kill them today, but they're going to die in the wilderness. None of them will enjoy the land that flows with milk and honey. And we know that even Moses himself only got to peek over into the land, did not get to go into the promised land. How many of you? believe that sin affects others? That your sin and my sin affects others? Numbers chapter 14 says that the sin of this first generation, that their children went through some hard times and some difficult times. They went through some unnecessary pain and difficulty because of the sin of their forefathers. And now they've all passed away, and the moment has come, and now the second generation is here. It's time to move into the promised land, and God says, hold on just a minute. There is a a wrong that needs to be righted. Now, you might say, Tim, why in the world did they have to do this? Don't miss this. This is a marking, a physical act, but it's so much more than the physical act because it is actually a spiritual operation of the heart. Now, why why do you say that, Tim? Because you can go through rituals and practice, and you can go through pomp and circumstance, if you will, and your heart be far from God. That first generation had followed through on the sign of the covenant, and then they spent 40 years rebelling against God, rebelling against leadership. Why? Because their heart was not right with God. And he say, Tim, why, why is that important today? It's very important. A couple things. Number one, Warren Weir'sby said, no amount of external surgery can change your heart. No amount of external surgery can change your heart. Those men knew they had the sign of the covenant. They knew they had the promises of God, but yet their heart wandered far from God. Church, what would ever make us think we can't do the same thing? Anybody in here ever realize that at times you're suffering from spiritual amnesia? That you made a a covenant with God? You know you're obligated to him, but yet in your spiritual life you drift away and your heart gets cold and your heart is not set on God like it needs to be? Let me illustrate this in the New Testament. Paul saw this so clearly in his letter to 1 Corinthians. Look with me real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The words will be up on the screen where Paul talks about this very story, and he ties it into the local New Testament church at Corinth, and today we're going to tie it into the local New Testament church called the Point Church, all right? Here it is. Paul points back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 1. He says to them, I I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. You know, from the Old Testament, God led his people by the cloud during the day and by fire at night, a symbol of his presence and his guidance, that God was with them. They all passed through the sea, the moment of the parting of the Red Sea, a miracle that God performed with them. And as they passed through the sea, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. A picture of baptism there passing through the water as they're actually under the leadership of God's man named Moses. Verse number three, they all ate the same spiritual food. That manna that was laying every day on the dew of the ground for 40 years, they didn't prepare it themselves. It came from where? came from God, right? They all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink, or they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. God always provided water and sustenance for them. Notice the word rock there is capitalized, and then he finishes, and the rock was Christ. Paul is saying Jesus was with them in the wilderness the whole time, No, you don't see his name in the stories of Numbers and Exodus and here in Joshua, but Jesus is with them. In verse number five, he says, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Now, will you think about that statement for just a minute? Think about his people, his covenant people. Paul said, Yet with most of them, he was not pleased and that's why they were overthrown. That's why they died in the wilderness. Now, now hear me. We must always remind ourselves that God obligates himself to his people. Has God obligated himself to you? Christian, has he? Come on, y'all with me here? Wake, Wake up a little bit. Has God obligated him? Sure he has. God obligated himself to his people in the Old Testament under the covenant. God promised, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll be with you every step of the way. I think of Philippians chapter 4 in the New Testament that says our God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. God has obligated himself to us, but in that obligation, there is an obligation for us to fully commit ourselves to him, to obey him, to not not be casual or to be haphazard in our relationship. I I need to say it again that that the Bible is not a book of suggestions. It is a book of obligations between us and our God. And, And what we need to do right now in this moment As they're preparing to go into Jericho for the conquest, they stop and they say, Look, right now, we need to right what is wrong. So, God sent me here today, Point Church, to say to every one of us in this room, What is that thing in your life? What is that thing right now, if you're gonna move forward in your relationship with Christ? If you're gonna go out of here today and do kingdom work that God has called us to do what is it in your life that is wrong that you need to get right? The most important thing in this hour right now for all of us is to be able to answer the question, am I right with God? Are you right with God? Are you? Is there sin in your life? Is there a hidden sin? Is there a presumptuous sin? Is there something that you know God has called you to? Is there a work that He has placed on your heart that you know He wants you to do, but yet you've been obstinate or you've pushed back? You've become entangled with the things of this world. Maybe, as we all do at times, we're good at coming up with our own plans instead of sticking to His plans. God says, no, we're going to do it this way. I want your obedience here. Listen, God does not want part of your life and part of your schedule. He wants it all. He wants total commitment. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, especially in the South. I was listening to a sermon the other day. A preacher was preaching at uh, Southwestern Seminary, and I was listening to his sermon, and he was talking about this, how, how he grew up in the South, and this this idea of Christianity and going to church, it's it's like a part of your life, but it's not your life? It's like something you do or something you attend as opposed to who you are. How many of you believe today that the church is not a building? The church is people that go out into the kingdom. They go out into the kingdom. So, so I'm just asking you right now, Paul. I don't have to point a finger into your heart and life and mind. I don't have to do that because we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit now is saying to you, there's something maybe in your life. One step at a time. Let's start at square one today and answer the question, am I right with God? Is my heart right with God? How many of you have heard of Elizabeth Elliot? You heard of Elizabeth Elliot? Okay, several of you have. Look at what she said up on the screen. I love this. We have a lot of questions about the future. Today, we all wonder what's going to happen. I mean, come on, let's get real today. What's going to happen this week, right? What does the future hold? What's it going to be like in a month? what's it going to be like in three months? God, what do you want me to do today? What is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Elizabeth Elliott said, does it make sense to pray for guidance about the future if we are not obeying in the thing that lies before us today? Do what God tells you to do now and depend upon it, and you will be shown what to do next. So, Christian, what is God speaking to you about right now that needs to be righted? Look at me. Is there somebody you need to forgive? Is there somebody you need to get right with? How about this? There were three people in the first service today, three adult men, that raised their hand when I asked this question, are you right with God, that confessed by their hand. They said, I'm not sure That I'm right with God. I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. Now, hear me. You can join the church. You can take communion. You can be baptized. You can give to sin relief. You can help the Pregnancy Crisis Center. All of these things that we do in our church and in our walk with the Lord that we believe in very strongly, you can follow through with rites and acts and processes and your heart not be right with God you were to stand today at the pearly gates, and you were asked the question, why, why should you be allowed into heaven? What would be your answer? There is only one, and that is you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Not that you're a church member, not that you've memorized the catechisms, not that you've been baptized, but you have been born again, born from above, born, born from above, born by God's grace, write what is wrong. Please, I'm begging you today. If you're not sure you're a Christian and you're born again, don't go away without Jesus. May today be your day of salvation. If you are a Christian today, what is it in your life now that the Lord has spoken to you that says, hey, Tim, you need to write what is wrong? And let's make sure that we leave here today as thoroughly right with God as we possibly can. How many of you believe the hour is urgent? If I told you the Lord was gonna come back at one o'clock today, you'd get a whole lot more serious about what I just said. You would. So how about we just live like He could? Are you right with the Lord? If you're not, I pray that you will be. So the first thing we see here in the text is, is, is that Joshua gets everybody together and he says, wait a minute now, you guys that have been born in the wilderness wondering, we're gonna follow through on the sign of the covenant and they are obedient to do what God commanded them to do. Notice in verse number 10, the second thing that they do is they pause. Actually, as a matter of obedience. Now that they're in the land and they celebrate their deliverance. Joshua tells them, we're going to celebrate our deliverance. Look at verse number 10. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month, in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover on that very day, notice, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after. They ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. I don't know about you. You might read that, and that just might be a narrative and a story, but I just get giddy reading that, okay? I just do. This is really cool. 40 years God provided them manna in the wilderness and water, and now we see this transition to where they're at home. Can anybody agree with me today there ain't no place like home? They're at home, and now they're not going to live off of that manna on the dew every day. They're going to live off of the fresh land of Israel. They're gonna live off of the fruits and the barley and the grain. And now, the fulfillment of God's promise, they're actually living it every day as the manna stops and they transition to being at home. Now, what do they do? They celebrate the Passover. You know, the Passover is what is observed to remember their deliverance, right? That God delivered them from Egypt. We see it for the first time in Egypt as the death angel passes over and the blood is sprinkled over the door, you fast forward, and you see in Numbers chapter 9, they celebrate the Passover at Mount Sinai in the wilderness wandering. And there are many scholars that say there's a, there's a gap here. We don't have evidence that there was another Passover observed until this one here as they enter into the land of Canaan. And so they're remembering their deliverance. They're remembering what God did for them. Now, why did they do this? This is important. Number one, they're keeping the manner of the 14th day of the month. But look on the screen at Exodus chapter 13 and verse number five. Moses said, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey You shall keep this service in this month. Now, I don't have time to get into this. I wish I did. But we'll get to Joshua chapter 8, verses 31 to 35. In some of, I I wasn't even going to get into this, but I'm going to throw it out there for you to study, all right? In some of the manuscripts that they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls in Qumran, there's some of those manuscripts that actually have Joshua chapter 8 verses 34 and 35 here at the end of chapter 5 or end of chapter 4 going into chapter chapter 5 about what they actually did at this moment and how they did it. Here's what you'll find. You'll find in those verses that they read every single word out loud of the law. They read every word of the book before they engaged in the conquest. But, and that was a command of the Lord, by the way. But here, God once again says, I want you to stop. Remember, markers along the way. I want you to stop, and I want you to remember the deliverance that I brought in your life. I was downtown at an event yesterday afternoon, and I, uh, these three young boys uh, were standing there, and uh, I just struck up a conversation with them. And uh very quickly, I said, uh, told them I was a pastor, and and man, when I said that, it was like the light bulb turned on in all three of their heads. They were probably somewhere between 19 to 21, and uh, man, I could just tell real quick, they wanted to talk about the Lord. They want to talk about church. They want to talk about theology, and man, they were asking me what I would call some humdinger questions, okay? You know, not easy ones, and why do you do this, and why do you do that, and what do you believe this, and have you done that, and do you prophesy, and we were just, I mean, it was all over the place, And so I got to a certain point, and one of the boys looked at me, and he said, he asked me a question. He said, tell me about about your journey with the Lord. And in that moment, I went straight back to when I was 13 years old, and I got to tell my story of God's grace in my life. I want to ask you, when's the last time you've told your story? When's the last time that you said to someone, hey, let me tell you what happened to me when I was 13. Let me tell you what happened to me when I was 21. Let me tell you what happened to me when I was 28. Now, what does this have to do with the Passover? i tell you what it is. God wants his people to never get over deliverance. Never get over it. Always be excited about talking about it, remembering it, declaring what the Lord has done for you. Part of us coming together on Sundays here in church and worshiping together is that we celebrate our deliverance. We celebrate what Jesus did for us. Watch now on that final Passover. Come on, this ought to just get you fired up. On that final Passover, the Lamb, Jesus, came and he died on the cross to deliver me from the Egypt of my sin, to deliver me, to set me free. And that, that should be something that we never get over, the blessings of the Lord. And then, and then we see for them in this moment what this Passover meant, how special it was. I want you to see a couple things. One, Joseph Coulson, look on the screen. He said, as the inaugural Passover in Egypt had marked the exodus from slavery." So this first Passover in Canaan marked attainment of the goal toward which God had been leading them ever since. The Passover has always commemorated God's ancient act of deliverance from Egypt. This one also anticipated God's new act of giving his people the promise rest in the land. The faithfulness of God, can't you see that? Can't you see it here in this text? And then I want you to notice this. I want you to notice the supernatural way in which God provided manna and water for them in the wilderness. And now as he brings them into the land, it is as if he has moved away from this supernatural appearance of food and water to now say, hey, here I have provided this land for you to live off of the blessings of the land. Now, why do I say that? I think sometimes we are attracted to the exciting and the supernatural and the euphoric things like manna on the dew. And many times we miss the common, ordinary blessings of God. They both come from the same place. The blessings come from God, He is our provider. How many of you found. That, that in God's calendar, in what you know of him and what you read about him, he's not always parting Red Seas. He's not always parting Jordan Rivers. He's not always making the sun stand still, but God is always at work, and he is always blessing his children. Look on the screen, Dale Ralph Davis. He said, so we must be aware of thinking that God is only in the earthquake, the wind, and the fire of thinking that manna but not grain is God's food. Most of God's gifts to his people are not dazzling and gaudy, but they are wrapped in simple brown paper, quiet provisions of safety on the highway, the health of our children, picking up a paycheck, supper with the family, all in an ordinary day's work for our God. May we never miss the blessings and his provision day by day. Let me finish the sermon in chapter five with the best part. If you slept through the first two, you're okay. This is really good right here, all right? The last thing we see in this preparation time is we see a final moment of encouragement. Man, this is so good right here. You're going to like this. Look at it. Final moment of encouragement for Joshua. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for them? Are you on our side or are you for our adversaries? And he said, no but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worship and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Does that sound familiar? Exodus chapter three, verse three. Moses is standing beside what? He's standing beside a burning bush. And here's a voice that says, Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And now Joshua has this holy ground moment. Joshua has this holy cow moment, right? I mean, think about this. I've got chill bumps right now, all right? Joshua's walking there by Jericho, and he looks up, and here stands a man with a sword in the middle of the road. And Joshua is obviously overwhelmed by his presence. And he asked the question, which team are you on? Are you on our side are you on their side? And I love the answer. You see the answer, did you read it? The answer is not an answer, really. The answer is like, you know, somebody says, are you cheering for this team or that team? And you say, yes. Well, you didn't answer the question. Which team are you on? Are you on our side or their side? No. No. Now, why is that important, church? Why is that important? Because I think so many times we think about the fact of which team is God on? Who is God for? And that's really not the issue here. The question that needs to be answered right now is are we on his side? Are we committed to him? And so, This soldier, this commander of the army of the Lord said, No, no, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. I didn't come to pick sides. I think sometimes people think that way. Listen, when Jesus came to this earth, he didn't come to pick sides, he came to take over. He's in charge. He's the commander of the army. And very quickly, Joshua realizes that this is a holy moment. Now, real quick, there's really one of three thoughts here. Number one, this is Yahweh, this is a theophany, God appears. This is an angel that is sent from God as a holy representation of heaven. But there's a third view that I kind of lean toward, and I may get to heaven and find out I was wrong. But what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number four? That the rock was Christ. Paul knew that Christ was with them, and there are many believe that this is an appearance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is Adonai. Many times Adonai is used for Christ, but nonetheless, we know this is a holy moment, a visitation from God. And what I want you to see is, I want you to see the humility of Joshua. That he's humble. He realizes that he is in the presence of God. He humbles himself. He gives honor. Now, whether he thought he was talking to a human being or a military leader or whatever, he says, my Lord. He shows honor for being in the presence of who he was in. And then notice at the end of verse number 14, he says, what does my Lord say to his servant? Notice how Joshua is constantly putting himself in a place of servanthood one of the things that the work of God and the kingdom of God has suffered from and may suffer from today is big shots. I believe God doesn't need any big shots. He needs servants. That's what I see from Joshua. This moment of encouragement, he humbles himself. He honors the presence, and he realizes Joshua has a grand view of God. And then the voice says, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground. And what does Joshua do? Joshua just begins to worship. It's a moment of worship. It's a time of preparation. And man, that speaks to my heart. Before I preach a sermon, before I go out and do kingdom work, there needs to be humility and worship and a servant spirit in my heart and my life. God has to do that preparation work in me to get me ready for the battle ahead. And so here's this special moment where Joshua gets some encouragement before he leads the people into battle. So chapter five is before we begin. Before we begin, there's some work that needs to be done. Do you want to move forward in your relationship with Christ today? Do you? You want to grow? How many of you, don't don't give me the churchy answer, just answer this in your heart. I mean, if you really want to be engaged in the kingdom. You want to make a difference. You want, to, you want to make an impact? before we begin? We need to make sure that we write what is wrong in our hearts. We need to make sure that we're right with the Lord. We need to make sure that we can celebrate our deliverance, and then we need to live in the presence of God and know that He is with us, He will never leave us or forsake us, and He will guide us every day step of the way if we would just be obedient to him. And the church said, let's stand together.